David O'Connor, welcome to the show. How are you getting on, man? I'm doing very well, Shane. Thanks very much for having us on. No, I really appreciate it. You know, it's uh, it's actually the only handy thing about everyone being at home is everyone's free for a Zoom call in the evening. So it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's great. And I, I was saying this, uh, I was saying this to someone last week, and I'm trying, I'm getting a bit better at sort of, you know, in touch with people, doing more interviews and podcasts and discussions. Um, I think it's just getting a bit more confident as well. But it's um, when you box something off like this, I kind of find it to look forward to it. It's yeah. like great. It's not an interview, you know. It's like Jesus, great. I get to have a conversation with somebody for an hour. <laughs> I know. I think that's it, especially these days. It's like something you'd crave, just like an actual conversation with an actual person that's outside of the family home. It's it's a dream. Yeah. No, and it is great, and and I think it's um, I think that's the great thing about podcasts as well is, uh, well, number one is it's so vast. Like whatever subject, whatever topic you're interested in, like you'll find it. You know, you, you, whether it's like you're saying something a bit more sort of structured, professional, uh, well produced, um, or the other end, just somebody who just has a passion and just puts it out there. You know, just through their phone or whatever. Um, so I think whatever you're looking for, you'll find it. And then as well as that, I think it's um, and I mean this in a positive way. It's so disposable. If if it's not for you, you'll just move on to the next one. You know, so. Yeah. Um, I think that's it, it, that's one of the biggest parts as well. You can just opt in and out. Like, you know, like take someone like Joe Rogan. I only like, you know, it might be 50% of his guests and every episode's three hours. So I'm not going to commit to watching every week. But if there's someone I want to watch, then I can do that over a few days. I can do it in whatever pockets I want. It's ideal. You you opt in and out as you please. And then if you leave it off for six months, it's no big deal. Yeah, exactly. I have a few like that. I just kind of I bounce around like that and you maybe get you might get one every four or five episodes, but that's kind of yeah. enough, you know. Um, so no, it's great, and I think just for, you know, for the ordin- the ordinary people as such, like who aren't, like I say, who aren't radio professionals or anything like that, it's just made. I think it's just made communication and, and opinion and talk a bit more accessible and a bit more. It just opens up a bit more of an everyday debate, as conversation for people as well, and it's great. And the great thing about it is, you don't need to have half a million followers, or you know, it doesn't matter. You're just having a chat with somebody, and if one or two people listen, great. But I, I think it's just a conversation, that long form conversation. I think is just great. Um, and like I say, it's putting people in, in in contact with, you know, whether it's people who are interested in the same sport or the same books or. You know, whatever it is, it's bringing people together for a chat, and that 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 can only be a positive thing, you know. So no, it's great. It's great. To, so yeah, it's great to sit down and chat to you. Definitely, man. Really looking forward to it. Now, I suppose just as a starting point, I know well who you are, but as I say to nearly every guest, for those who maybe wouldn't know you, could you give us even you know ten twenty seconds, just a little summary about yourself? I know if if it's ever put to me, I was actually a guest on a podcast a few weeks ago. And someone put that to me. It was the most awkward thing in the world. I was like, I don't know why I do this, people, but I'm going to do it anyway. So just a little bit about yourself. Yeah, well, look, uh, 26 from Dublin. Um, what would you say about me? Um, I suppose, look, to, to, what, what I do and why I'm here, I suppose, I, I'm a big interest in running. Um, I, I have a big interest in my own personal mental health and I suppose mental health advocacy. And that's sort of what I use social media for. I talk about different challenges that I do, different running and endurance challenges um, that I undertake. I put a lot of thought into them. I put a lot of effort into them physically and mentally. And I do them to raise funds and to raise awareness for um, 
various mental health organisations throughout Ireland and, and to fundraise. So my goal is to raise 100,000 for uh, different organisations. And so far, through the help of a lot of people, um, we've raised uh, raised over we've raised over uh, 30,000 euro. Um, so look, I, I suppose I can say yeah, I'm, I'm maybe highlighting more what my online profile is here than, than you know me as a person. But uh, look, what I try to do is I try to speak very candidly and very nonchalantly about my own experiences of living with depression. I try and normalize, you know, a conversation as I sort of put it, like I speak about a counseling session the same way I speak about a gym session. Um, and I try, you know, without scaring people, I, I just try and give a really, uh, you know, a, a really honest picture as to how difficult it can be. Um, but also like how manageable it can be as well, because I think it's important to point out, you know, the good moments that you have as well. Um, and I suppose in many ways I try and talk to like the 22 year old me and I try and make, look, this is so complex, but what I try and do is make situations like counseling, talking to your GP, antidepressants, a good day, a bad day. I try and make it a bit more real for maybe people who are struggling with the idea of you know the next step of maybe feeling they need to do something whether it's go to your gp or a counselor i just try and give a bit of a snapshot as to what that as to what that may be like and to try and make it a bit more realistic for somebody and a bit more reachable i suppose so um i hope that answers your question it, it was a bit of a tangent but i hope that gives an idea i suppose of who or and what i'm about no, it definitely does. I think it gives great perspective. And you know, it's one thing I'd always say about yourself is that, you know, everything you put up, whether it be online or obviously I'd imagine you're the very same around your friends and family, but you know, it's raw and it's honest and it's, you're not just posting all, you know, the highlight reel every day. You're posting mm -hmm. just how your actual life is going. And I think that's something that a lot of people with depression or issues with their mental health maybe shy away from doing. And sometimes <laughs> it's nearly better to share it. So, you know, in that perspective, I can completely understand why you do it. Now, I mean, the running is something that straight off jumps out at me as I suppose that would be something that would massively complement, like say anything to do with both your health, mentally and physically. So, I mean, take me back to how you got into the running just as a start. I mean, is it just something you've done since you were younger? Is it something you discovered a bit later in life? Yeah, I've done it since a very young age. So I suppose I've, I've always been involved in sport. I, I played yeah. football from a very young age. Um, my dad was uh, an extremely good footballer. Um, played League of Ireland, played a very high level, very honest type of guy um, in sport and in life. And I don't know, I maybe struggled a bit to live up. <laughs> you know, I was like, geez, I have to match what he's doing, you know, and, and I never really did in football. Um, I did very well in a coaching uh, capacity. But uh, yeah. I suppose with running, um, it start, I started running when I was about uh, 15. And, and it's quite, I've, I've told this story a few times, it's quite bittersweet. Um, the reason I started running was, I, I, a lot of my problems, my mental health problems, stem from being bullied in school. Um, which I'm sure we we probably get deeper into that as as this conversation goes on. But um, I was picked on because of what I looked like. I was the chubby kid. I was overweight, and I remember it got to a point. I I, I remember um, reading like a magazine or a newspaper when I was about 15, and it had suggested that running was a good way to lose weight. 
Um, now listen, I couldn't even tell you what context or where I read this. Like I, I don't know where I picked it up, but like a sort of a light bulb went off. It was like, oh, if I run, I lose weight and I won't get picked on. This is a this is a great idea, you know. So I decided one day, like I said, I'm gonna go for a run. So I remember it, it was a Wednesday afternoon, and I just remember that because in school, in secondary school, we used to get a half day and a Wednesday. Um, was where I yeah, yeah, I think a lot of schools are like that, but um, geez, it was great. Um, I'd love that now in work, actually. You'd told Wednesday you could head home at 12 o'clock, or a Friday be even better. I know, you'd um, trade it for a Friday, wouldn't you? You would, yeah. I'd walk late for a Monday to get off early on a Friday now, absolutely. <laughs> um, but um, I decided then, I was like, right, I'm going to go for a run. But I was mortified, like I was so embarrassed at the thought of somebody actually seeing me out running, um, you know, kind of taking yeah. myself seriously. So... I went out, uh, this is mad, I went out in a pair of jeans and like a jacket <laughs> and like the whole thought process was like, right, I'll just go and if somebody sees me or tries to talk to me, I'll just tell them I can't talk, I'm late, I'm running for a bus and uh, like even the effort of that, do you know what I mean? It's actually it's, put it's, that it's very clever. Yeah, it is actually quite clever but um, it, it's, it's quite bittersweet as well because yeah. what I was doing was quite positive and I was still ashamed of it, you know. But I went out, I only went out for about 15 minutes. And it's funny because I ended up enjoying it. So I actually came back thinking, geez, you know what, that, that was actually great. I, I think I'll go again tomorrow. So uh, so began the love affair. And thankfully, I, 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 uh, I evolved from the genes very quickly. <laughs> I think the football shorts came out the next time. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's how it started. But look, again, I have to kind of credit my dad because, like I said, he... He trained very hard, um, he walks very hard, but even like he played football up until he was he was forty two or forty three and only he got an extremely bad injury that finished it for him, he'd probably still be playing. Yeah. Um but in and around that age I was getting into, you know, just trying to look after myself and obviously I was taking a stretch as well. And he, he was playing, he would have been playing probably Leinster senior football at that stage, which is still a very high level. Um it'd obviously just be a drop down from League of Ireland football. And he used to bring me training. He, he trained with Moyle Park. Um, I think I've gone now. I think they've merged with P-Mount, who would be obviously a big enough club. But these are solid, really good, experienced senior players. And, you know, I was getting into training and running. And he was, oh, you know, come and train with me. Come and train with the lads. And like, such was my naivety. <laughs> you know, such was, you know, the ego of a 15-year-old. Like, oh, I'll go and show them outflows, you know. And as you can imagine, I got booted around and I got put in my place very quickly. But um, what I got from that was it was the first time I'd ever seen, like, a structured training session. You know, coaches, cones, everything organised. And I was a goalkeeper at the time. And when I arrived, I was like, oh, will you be with the goalkeeper coach? And I was like, wow, what's a goalkeeper coach? You know, like, things like that. Like, so... Um, <laughs> To step into that environment at such a young age, um, like it was physically, like it, it was, <laughs> I was dominated every week, like, um, but I had to grow up quick and I put a bit of strength in my legs and I suppose it gave me a bit of character as well about um, just trying harder. And, and it stems maybe, <clears throat> we talk about, um, you know, you think about the, the, the broader discussion about personal development and that. You know, don't what's the saying? Like, don't be the smartest person in the room. Um, you know, there's no point in going to train with people you're faster with or whatever. Like, I was bottom yeah. of the pile there for like three or four years. Like, I wasn't even a player, I was just training. 
um, but I got knocked around, but I kept going back. And it, from that, like I obviously developed physically, I, like I say, I took a stretch and I, I developed a love not only for training, which has stayed with me right throughout my life, but from coaching, that's actually where the love of coaching came in because I just love the environment. So um, that kind of all came, I suppose, from that fourth run because up until then, like, look, I played football, but you know, not at a serious level or anything. And like, we, training was, you know, a ball was thrown to you and you were just kicking it around. So, uh, like I said, it, that, that little decision, right, I'm going to go to lose weight and go off my jeans, what was quite bittersweet in many ways, negative, it, it was, it turned out to be, for me, mentally, one of the most important things I ever did. And it, it turned into this, you know, it just mushroomed because it, it gave me so much in terms of that love for training um, yeah. and love for the mental side of sport as well. So talk to me a little bit. I mean, look, myself, I, I was overweight as a kid. And I suppose that would have stemmed from a lot of different areas of life. But say at that time, like, was it a big shift in lifestyle just in the sports side? Or I mean, like food wise, did things kind of all start clicking into place for you? Like, how did you actually manage that at such a young age? Um, I don't, I, I try and think back on that a bit. Like, I, I think one of the saddest memories was, I remember being, like I was only 12 and now this is when the bullying was really, really bad and kind of, do you know the stage like when you're picked on and what's interesting about this and I always say, I was not the only one picked on at school. There were loads of kids, loads. And I always say like, I'd actually love to meet some of them guys now and see, did it affect them? You know? Yeah as predominantly as it affected me, or would they even remember it, do you know? Because there were lads who got it worse than me. Um, and these are the conversations that I have in my head. But I suppose in terms of looking after myself, um, like I don't think I binged eat. I don't think it was, you know, I don't think I overate. Or I, I, I don't recall kind of that side of it, like being you know, someone to have an Easter egg and I'd have three of them. Or, do you know what I mean? Like things like I that. Like I, I don't have that. Thinking back to that, it's not that vivid of a memory. Like I kind of just remember, like, you know, I'm being picked on for what I look like and not really understanding it. And, and the, I suppose the story I always give is when you grow up with that diet of, of Hollywood movies, you're getting these films and the narrative, the storyline, the plot, all that it's always the chubby kid get, that gets picked on. So I'm going to give an example. The Goonies is a perfect example. Chunk, he's yeah. the chubby kid. And he's the joke. He's the butt of all the jokes. Um, so when you're getting things like that, that's sort of painted into all these stories that you're seeing on telly, like that's, it's sort of, you sort of accept it. It's like, oh, this is kind of supposed to happen to me. This is what happens to the kids who are chubby. Um, so I, I don't know if you'll agree with that or not. Again, it's just my experiences and what I remember from 30 years ago. Um, you see, it, it's kind of funny one because I think like it, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be bullied, but it's definitely always an easy shot. Like one of the things yeah. I'd say the whole way through school is like, I, honestly, I, I got on great with so many people. I never had any major issues along those lines. But I suppose the difference for me, and it's, it's probably just down to the time, like say when I was growing up, rugby was a big thing for a lot of kids my age. And you know, in rugby, there was a position for everyone of every size. So, you know, I was a prop forward. A prop forward was expected to be the chubby kid. So if you said you played rugby, you said you were the prop, you know, people would nearly expect that. If you're 13, 14, oh, sure, makes sense. He fits in in that position. He's that part of the scrum. It's just the way, it's the way rugby works. And, you know, I suppose it's one of those things that was kind of 
normalized a little bit. So, you know, on a, on a rugby team, you could have 15 lads, you know, there would have been maybe two or three lads who'd be overweight and they'd be the front row. And then you could have the lads who were fitter and they'd be in the other positions. So, I mean, it wasn't the case that I was sticking out like a sore thumb with the people I was around with. And that probably made a bit of difference that way, you know. Now, it doesn't mean that an insult wasn't thrown around here or there, but it wouldn't have been something that would have been that overlying issue other than internally in myself where I would have had issue with it, you know. And I suppose that would have been the big difference. So, like, for you then, you, you start training with your dad, you start taking things more seriously, and I suppose you find a passion in sport, you find a passion in running, and, you know, your life starts to shift in that direction. So was that kind of like a quick transition into, say, becoming going from the person who was maybe getting a hard time and being overweight to being someone who was a bit fitter? Or, like, how was that transition for you? Do you remember how long it took? Do you remember where you actually keeping track at the time? So what I do remember, so the other side of it is, aside from the bullying went, went on for a, a number of years, uh, when I was 14, I got mugged. I got, um, I got a syringe held up to my neck, uh, close to my home. And, and this is what I did. I, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm still trying to figure this out, uh, even now, like with counselling and everything. And, and what has come to light with this only recently is, like I've been told, like, oh, yeah, well, like it's no wonder you're t- you've dealt with trauma. And I'm like, no, no, that's not trauma. It's like, no, no, that is trauma. And you've obviously been trying to deal with this, maybe not the right way for a very long time. So I suppose you take the bullying if for someone who was a little bit low in confidence like myself. But that's going to leave some form of psychological damage anyway. But then you take the other, the, that, that mugging incident, the two combined is a hell of a lot to deal with, you know, for a teenager. Yeah. Um, very scary I'd say at that time even, even yeah, if it was yeah, even if it turned into nothing at the end I mean and it didn't um, the thing it was yeah, but I, I think this probably the toughest part to deal with was it happened so close to the home yeah. and you know at every turn you're sort of thinking this guy is going to show up again and now listen like obviously older more mature logic will tell you that guy was not going to waste his hit on me. You know, there was absolutely no way. Like he just wanted me money and me tracksuit and me football boots or whatever, you know? So, um, but just having it so close to home was devastating. And the fear it put into me, um, like I was afraid to walk down the road on my own. And like, whereas before I was very outgoing, very independent. And it, it just, it really, really knocked me back and I became quite paranoid. Um, which I mean I say that now as if it's just shock and awe like of course that's what it did to me you know how could it not like how it would do that to anybody and you know look thankfully I don't think it, it's it's nothing I, I don't have nightmares about it or you know thankfully now I think I've parked it I've dealt with it and I walk by that place still today and even now I'd walk by it it doesn't come into my head if you get me but obviously for a long, long time afterwards, and even right in my 20s, it was a very hard thing to do with. And you go through all the what-ifs, the buts, and all the, you know, Jesus, what if you'd have done this? But um, very difficult to deal with. And sorry, I'm conscious I haven't answered your question. I've <laughs> gone on another tangent there. Um, oh, no, it's, it, honestly, it's interesting. I, I don't mind one bit. I mean, it's, it's, well, it's look, definitely... both, it is an important part of, of, of the discussion. <clears throat> but I think... You've asked me about like the food and eating and trying to figure those things out. One thing is for certain is I think definitely when I hit 16 right up to 20, something I was probably in denial a bit for a long time. Like I, I definitely went the opposite. I don't think I was eating enough. Um, I remember I got to a point where my mother had said it to me. She was like, Look, yeah. you're, too, you're too thin. You've gone too thin. And like I was fobbing this off. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Jesus, no, I'm fine. Like, and 
it's kind of only looking back, you're like, Jesus, yeah, I, I was way too thin. Um, now, I was very active, you know, I was, and I think a lot of people like that. When you get that age and you're doing a bit more, you're involved in different sports, I think naturally enough you will sort of fill out to what, you know, that way you'll probably get a little bit more lean or your body's still developing and all that type of stuff. But I, I think looking back, I definitely was a bit thin. And there were conscious decisions, you know, where you were like, look, I um." I won't have me dinner. I'll just have a cereal instead, you know, and that'll keep me going. And say you were you were in school all day, and then you were going to work your night shift in Super Value from six to ten, and then just coming home and work. so you're doing a really long day and, and not providing the nutrition you need. Um, so there was definitely that aspect, and it's not something I suppose I've talked about too much. Um, but you know, when I look back and explore this, and it does come up in counselling sessions, there was definitely something there. Um, some form of insecurity or some sort of, you know, a poor relationship with food. Um, and I often parked it as, rather than talk about the food, I just kind of say, well, look, I'm just a bit insecure about my body. And even now, I'm a bit like, you now in the gym, well, before before COVID, like, I'd be a bit like, I didn't take my top off in front of people or... Even now, now that people are big into the swimming now, it's like a big thing, well, I'm not going to go swimming, like, I have to take my top off, like, and... Like the reality is, and you know this as much as like, nobody cares. Like no one yeah. gives a damn. Like you know, and but it's just I always get that initial. Oh no, take me top off. And you're like Jesus, and I just no. It's still there. It, it, it's not automatic for me to just. Oh yeah, it's grand. It's still. I still have to think about it. And like I say, no one cares. I, I hopefully I'll get to that point at some stage. Um, but look, as I grew up. And you get a bit more mature, like you say. I, I, it was definitely life changing the love of training, and I, um, I'm trying to think back now. Like bear in mind, this is over twenty years ago. I suppose <clears throat> I, I certainly got a love for training on my own, because um, I didn't enjoy playing football. I loved training. I loved the training side of it. With me, like I say, with me dad, um, there was something in that I just really enjoyed. Um, playing football on the actual pitch I didn't because I was very petulant I had zero confidence I made a mistake it was the end of the world and I just wasn't whilst I worked very hard I wasn't very good to be you know I wasn't a good player to have in your team because the head just went so quickly and to an extent like I actually I stopped playing I think I was about 24 like officially like kind of not going to say retired like I've come back and played a few matches since but I stopped sort of the team environment at about 24, 25 because I was just yeah. sick of, I just didn't enjoy it, you know. So uh, I took more from just training, just that side of it, like I say, it's just something I really enjoyed, um, which is a shame because I think, <clears throat> like people ask me, do I miss it? And the, I always say the only thing I've ever missed from football is, from playing, is the car journey with your friends, the social side, which, you know, you'll solve the tactical and world crisis in the car journey home and you know what that side is something i've always missed and now thankfully my friends and my friend you know they're still there but um you know definitely that side and creating memories with your friends or whatever is something i've always missed but in terms of actually playing physically um i haven't missed it yet now i think being so active still and taking a lot of pride in, in, in like that the physical activity you know, maybe if I wasn't as active or I get to a stage where I can't do as much, I might look back and say, geez, I should have played a bit longer. But at the moment, because I enjoy what I do, it's it's not something I've ever missed. And like I say, I, I got into coaching at a young age. And partly because 
I wanted to, you know, guide younger younger players. How you know more so how whatever about the tactical development, but I was more interested in you know channeling a bit of self belief, um, a bit of discipline and control into young players, so they didn't carry on the way I carried on at a pitch. So that was sort of how the love for coaching began as well. Um, regarding myself, like you say, we get getting a bit older. It was sort of to my mid twenties, early to mid twenties, I started to have quite an angry reaction to the bullying and the mugging event. Uh, I really started to question, like, what, why did I let this happen to me? I was just like, oh hell, like, looking back, you're like, what the, how the fuck did I put up with this for so long? And I just, I got really annoyed, really angry. But I, I, I obviously, you've moved on. You're in a different stage of your life, then. But I, I turned it on myself because there was no one else to really turn to. So I turned that anger on myself. I turned the hatred on myself, and you know, subsequently, then I, I went through a period for probably five or six years of, of just this, this psychological self-harm, you know, bullying myself, um, really taking it out of myself that I let, let this happen to me and I should have stood up to these people. So what began was this, yeah, I, it, 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 it doesn't take too long to build a habit, you know, and what I did was like, it was almost religiously, like I'd be looking in the mirror every morning just telling myself like you're a fucking piece of shit, you're worthless. And I started keeping a diary like to the extent I gave it a name. I called it the hate pages. And I started writing that every day about everything I'd done wrong, about how he was useless. You'll never do anything. Um, and carving the pen in, you know, like it's just a form of self-harm. Um, and like that's a difficult one for I, I even get I get a bit upset talking about that side of it now. Um, I can talk about the bullying and the mugging, sort of um, with the emotion removed from it. But the self-harm, that side of it is something that I struggle to even talk about because it's self-inflicting, you know? You're like, you, what if? You're like, what, what if I could have done something different at that period of my life? But um, <clears throat> it, it, what's sad as well, and it's, a, it's, it's quite a common story, is I'm doing that to myself um, unbeknownst to anybody, unbeknownst to family, unbeknownst to friends, unbeknownst to war colleagues. You know, the rest of your life is very much a facade, like where you're just happy-go-lucky, you're in good form, you're enjoying yourself, people enjoy your company. Now, sure enough, I, I've I've actually discussed it with friends since quite openly, and they've, I've sort of asked them, like, look, when you look back, like, was I a bit of a dickhead? Like, and I always say this, like, when you're dealing with low mood, depression, paranoia, all this type of stuff, like, you're not immune to pissing people off. And it's, yeah. something, it's important to remember that, you know, it affects other people's lives as well as their own. And thankfully, like, the, the only bit of knockback I've gotten is, ah, you were a bit moody. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, yeah, I could, I could probably handle that, like, as long as I didn't really offend anybody. But um, it, it was a very difficult period of my life that sort of went on and on. And <clears throat> I didn't really know, you know, what the solution was. I sort of figured it would just pass. Um, and unfortunately, it just got worse and worse. Um, and, yeah, I... I, I I t- again there's so many variables with this I, I think a car- the career aspect was difficult because I, I, done a, I, I did a degree in college um, you know and I, I was very young I, I was 16 when I was in leaving or doing my leaving cert in sixth year so you're very young going to college I mean at a degree but at the time I was 20 and you know you, you're sort of stepping into the world you know like alright g- give me some of that good stuff like I'm ready <laughs> and you know at that age you've obviously 
you know, you just sort of, well, why aren't things happening for me? You know, that was my attitude. Why, why isn't this landing on my lap? Like, um, whereas, you know, that, you'd sort of, if you knew then what you know now, you'd be like, right, I actually have to work my arse off, like, which is, which is quite strange because I always worked very hard. I mean, I, I got my first job at 14. Like I said, my mother and father were like very honest workers. We, we didn't have an awful lot growing up, like, um, my mom and dad had to work very hard for everything they got to look after me, my brother, and that was instilled into me. Like, look, you have to work hard, and I suppose just so you get a bit old, like as you're working, growing up, like I say, you're doing them casual jobs in between school and college. It's only when you sort of step out that you realise actually, shit, I, I better sort my life out a bit. But um, <clears throat> I ended up working in the bank, um, on the recommendation of my mother, um. You know, back in the day, you, you got a job in the bank, you made it. You know, that was yeah. actually working in the bank, like, which is hilarious. So you think, like, you think now, but it was around 2007, which was obviously around the time of the recession. Um, and it, it was just not a good time to be joining the bank. So it, it, became, it, it became quite a tense environment, very challenging, very intense, um, and actually quite a toxic environment. And I suppose that corporate structure that... Do you know, like I get asked in interviews, like now, say, why did you leave the bank? And like, it's just like, look, you you make decisions, and it just wasn't the right one for me. I said, I just didn't enjoy it. It just wasn't the job for me. But I probably stay longer than I should. Um, it was a big drinking culture. I don't drink. I've never drank alcohol. You know, the lads going out for drinks after work on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which is great. You know, young lads, free and single, go and go and enjoy yourself. But because that wasn't my scene. You're then coming into work the next day and you're, you're out of conversation, you know, so you feel a bit disconnected. Um, and plus, what I, I found with that environment, it, it, it was, I suppose, how do you say it? There was no diversity. Like you just had, it was all, you know, boys and girls in their mid 20s, you know, Caucasians, you know, Middle Ireland who finished college, didn't really know what to do with their degree, so got a job in the bank. So what that translates into is probably 90% of your workforce that actually doesn't really want to be there or carve a career out of it. Um, so it doesn't, in that case, in, in, in with that, it doesn't take much to sort of upset things or one person's pissed off, suddenly the whole place is pissed off and doesn't want to be there. So, you know, I consider myself quite a positive person or quite pragmatic as well, but I just found that place just... It, sapped the life out of me um, purely because I let it um, and I was quite fixed you know there was no sense of well can I go somewhere with this um, I just found myself absolutely miserable <clears throat> and yeah, I, I, the way I say it is I lost faith in people like that, that's how <laughs> that's how nasty the situation got and like I say you were dealing with big clients solicitors corporate guys you were losing millions you're sitting in a cash desk. These guys are coming in like, you know, what's happening? And as far as training goes, you're told like, oh, well, just tell, tell them you understand their frustration. You know, you're like, are, are you serious? Like, I tell you what, like, you're the manager. Why don't you tell them that? Like, so um, I suppose the, um, <clears throat> the tipping point of it was uh, a gentleman came in one day obviously wasn't familiar with the branch he maybe went somewhere else and, and he looked over and he said am i in the right place to lodge a check and i was sitting there like that you know and he says yeah you're in the fucking bank 
And the moment I said it, like my heart sank. And even the people walking at me were like, "Wow!" And I, I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed. And that to me was like, that's it. Like, I have to get out of here. I'm done. Like, this is just, like, like I say, like, that's not me. You know, if anybody who knew me, like, I love people. I love engaging with people. And especially like that, yeah, like, especially though, like, you're meeting people all day long. Sometimes it was the customers that kind of kept you going because you get to know people. And, but when I said, like, I remember walking home that night, just with my head down, I was like, oh my God, like, if I told me man and dad this, like they'd actually throw me out of the house. Like I was so ashamed. Like um, and that was just a sign of just how <clears throat> just how things were sort of <laughs> crumbling inside my head. Um I, I remember getting to a point sort of realizing something wasn't right because you you got to the stage where you're waking up crying, you know, I was like, I cannot face today, I cannot do this. And I remember going out, I remember staying, I used to get the train into work, and I remember staying on the dart and just going to Bray and turning my phone off, like, and just staying there. Like, I, stayed, I think I stayed till about 12 o'clock, and I was like, oh, shit, I, I better go to work. Like, but um, tore my phone on naturally enough to work. Voice messages and missed calls from my manager. Ah, where are you? What's going on? And when I went in, like I got an absolute bollocking and <clears throat> I got a warning, and this could never happen again. And this, that, and you know, it's funny. I didn't care because I was so far gone. I just give a shit. Like it was just, I don't really care. Um, now looking back on it, you're kind of like Jesus Christ. Like <clears throat> if you were a manager, surely the guy did realize something's not right there. You might actually ask, is there, is everything okay? <laughs> like it's, it's so strange. Like when I look back, but um. Yeah, I, I remember in and around then just sort of realising something just, there's definitely something not right. And you're sort of thinking back over the years, everything that was going on. I, just, I remember sitting down and actually I Googled symptoms of depression. Um, and it's funny because uh, I made sure the house was empty. Like I had the curtains up to see if anybody was coming. And I always say this, it's, it's, you swear I was looking at porn. Like, you, you know, it was something inappropriate. Like I was, I deleted the history afterwards, you know. It was like, God forbid somebody found out I was looking up symptoms of depression. Like, um, I, I mean, I'm only going back to 20, you know, probably 2009 to 2010 here. Like it, it's yeah. not that long ago, but that's where we were as a nation. Like, and I think, thankfully, I think it's moved on since then. But I remember, like, whatever came up, it was, I, I, I'd say it was some sort of American website or something that gave this, you know, bullet point. And I remember recognizing six or seven symptoms and thinking, like, I'm a fucking weirdo. Like, I actually, I'm depressed. And I remember sort of, you know, toying with the idea of counseling. I was like, geez, could I get help? And like that, you're like, oh my God, imagine somebody found out. Imagine someone went out, you're like, you'd never get another job. You're like, you know, what would people think? And, People who think you're a weirdo, and again, like that's all. That's what existed. That that was. I don't like the word stigma, but that was it, wasn't it? Like that was the the, the attitude. Um, you know, within that orb when we talked about depression, mental health, it, it was just so alien. And like I say, like I'm not going back to the seventies here. We're only going back a decade. But again, a couple of weeks on, I remember I booked a counselling session close to the job. And I remember saying, look, right, I'll just I'll go, I'll book it for a quarter past five, I'll go in. And I'll just say, I have to walk late. I won't tell anyone I went counselling. And uh, I got to the gate and I couldn't go in. I just couldn't. I was so embarrassed and torn and I legged it. But you know that feeling you get 
it's like that relief. It's like, oh, thank God I didn't do that. And you're like, geez, the one thing I fucking should have done, like, because, um, you know, I, I parked it. So you'd start going into sort of denial mode. I can't believe I thought I had depression and all. Everything's grand. I'll be fine. Everything will be okay. Um, and sort of parked it then. So, look, it, it, nothing changes if nothing changes. And sadly, it, um, it, it spirals very much out of control. Um, I, 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 I made up this, uh, I made up this story. And this was just this was so far fetched. It would certainly give an idea as to how, you know, how he was lacking in terms of mental acuity. Like it was so far gone. Um, I needed to get out of the job. I needed to justify it to family and friends. So I, I kind of came up with the story that I got this great big coaching job, this football coaching job in Spain in Marbella, and that I was leaving. I was going over there to make a career of it, and that's what I did. Um, I left the bank. I uh, went over to Spain. I did actually do a coaching session with an academy. I did it once, never went back. I made me excuses to them. I said, oh, look, I have to go home or whatever. So literally for three weeks over there, uh, I just walked up and down the promenade in Marbella. just completely and utterly fucking miserable and pretending I was having the time of my life. Um, And I I, I remember quite well, it was the summer of 2010. The World Cup was on and Spain had won the semi-final. They bet Germany, and I always remember this because the game was unbelievable. And the defender Poyal captain scored this unbelievable goal. It was a header to win the game one nil. Um, amazing, amazing game. Uh, to be in Spain on that night should be something I should remember for all the right reasons for the rest of my life. Because as you can imagine, it was just a carnival, just a celebration, a colour and noise. People heading into the square to celebrate Spain being in the Cup Final, World Cup final, and I'm walking against the crowd with my head down. You know, it's it's like a play yeah. in a film. Um, and I got back to the hostel, and I was irritable. I was moving things. I was all over the place. And the only thing in my head was, I don't want to live anymore. It's like I am fucking done. I just do not want to be here. Um, and 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 Shane, I'm just I'm very careful how I articulate this with listeners. I, I don't want any anybody be triggered, or I don't upset anybody. But I, I have to be honest about it. You know, this isn't a fluffy. I wasn't feeling great, but I got up and got in the sea and did morning yoga and had a good breakfast and everything was fucking fine. Like this was this was beyond beyond the wall. You know, I, I was I was in a really dark place. Um, and the decision there and then was my whole attitude that night was I want to go to sleep and I don't want to wake up and I'll figure a way out to do that. And it's a funny one because <clears throat> the lady who ran the hostel or her husband, lovely lady, um she I was on the third floor and I heard somebody outside walking around and I don't know had she heard a commotion, heard me talking to myself. I don't know what happened, but there was a knock on the door and I opened it was her, which is really strange. I, I, I'd only ever seen her in the lobby, you know, downstairs. I'd never seen her up. And I don't know if she just got a sense something was wrong, but she came in and she was like, is everything okay? And like with that, it was like 15 years I'd been holding in here. I just explode I just cried my eyes out like and shaking and I'm trying to tell her and um she was lovely she was incredibly compassionate and brought me downstairs made me a cup of tea and we had a bit of a chat and she was just like look you need to get yourself home to your family and you know went home I sent her an email afterwards to thank her and I suppose in many I did 
kind of a divine intervention as such. Like, look, I I don't know what I've gone through with anything, but the fact you're, you know, you're um, you're even having those thoughts, and that's where your head is at. Is that's enough? You know, you don't need to go any further, but that's enough to show you that you need a little bit of help. Um, and all thanks to that lady, like you, you know, that 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 knock on the door in many ways changed changed the course of action. So yeah, that um, must have been tough though. It's it just it just sounds like I just I, I can't even imagine going through, especially that long term, and you're on your own, you're in a foreign environment. There's so yeah. many like probably the comforts that you would have had at home, even if you were going through those feelings. None of those are there, and it, it's a stranger who ends up kind of being the interfering force. Which you know, nine times out of ten might might have never happened, you know. So it's uh, oh, like, it's tough. Yeah, oh jeez, like even now it, it's it's quite upsetting. Even now, when I think back at that, like, and and I'm yeah. obviously what I'm telling you is even a you know quite a diluted version of that, like quite brief. But um, of course, it, the hardest part of it was actually on my way back to the hostel. My uh, my dad rang me, and the phone rang, and dad, and I was like, I don't want to answer that. I just do not want to answer that. And I answered and like he was buzzing after watching the match and he was ringing me to talk about the match and I had to pretend, oh, the places, you know, you're put again, you're telling this lie, like, everything is great and oh, geez, the place is hopping and I just like, oh my God. Well, you know, it's funny if that happened now, like, and my dad rang me, I'd tell him straight away, listen, dad, I'm really struggling. You know, and I know he'd be there in 10 minutes if he could, you know. Um, yeah. And that was probably the hardest part. That's mm. probably the, the yeah. development over time as well, though. You know, you, you've done so much yeah, work that, on it. Yeah. You've gotten the help. And I suppose now you can look back and say, look, that's what I should have done. But at the time, yeah, you're probably yeah, completely hindsight, blind. Hindsight is a, a, yeah, hindsight's a wonderful teacher, isn't it? Um, yeah. yeah, so look, I, I mean, listen to, to I, I don't look, we'll get to all the good stuff. <laughs> Shane, I just get all this... <laughs> all this tragedy out of the way like and look it's important to have a bit of humor of this as well you know but course, look man. i suppose to, to move it on like I, I think when i got back i like i thought i was maybe ready but like that it was almost just that relief you know that your stomach relaxes again that you got through this and look oh, i'll be grand everything be fine i'm home now and i kind of buried it i parked it then for a long time after like i, I look obviously i was unemployed when i got home um, and that sort of fed into the guilt and the shame because like I say I'm watching my mom and dad get up every morning to go to work I'm lying in bed scratching my arse like you know you're not contributing you're not helping out and that made me you know that, that didn't rest well with me um, so uh, look I was in an hour walk for probably two years and, and, and unsur- unsurprisingly like I just found myself you just start going you go back over the loop then, you know, you start going over the things, you're going right back again to the bullying, this mugging, these stupid decisions you made, embarrassed about the situation in Spain that you're still hiding from people. Um, you know, you're watching your friends moving on now, getting married, buying cars, buying houses, you're fucking mid-twenties wondering where your life is going. Um, and it does, it chips away at you, it chips away at your confidence. And it, it's obviously such a big thing. Like, And there's big discussion about this now, about how I suppose the, you know, the, the, the traditional sort of work setting, and I'm not even talking work from home, COVID, I'm not even talking about that, but sort of how you make your living is kind of changing and how there's different options available to people now. But like, look, we grew up in that area. That, 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 was, the, that was the route, wasn't it? You, you went to school, you got a job. You bought a house, got married and had kids, like, and, and I wasn't ticking boxes, so that made me feel pretty shitty about myself. 
Um, so kind of summer then, two years later, summer, June, May, sorry, May 2012, it was a May bank holiday on a Monday. Um, found myself in that place again. And the idea this time, I went down to Glendalough and the plan was to just walk into the woods and not come back. Um, and again, like, I, I'm always sort of keen to stress, like, I don't know if I'd have gone through with that. I don't know. But once again, to be in that place, to make the bloody effort to drive to Glendalough is enough. And I remember it was a beautiful day, beautiful sunny day. And um, I remember, um, just checking my battery here, Shane, sorry. I remember... Um, here for yeah, it's. Uh, I remember going, like just walking by the lakes. It was families and kids and people everywhere they're walking and enjoying themselves and happy. And the guy was just this fucking miserable fucker with like this dark cloud over me. And you know, I remember, I remember walking and sitting on like a rock or a branch in the woods. Like I was just thinking, like Jesus Christ, like if you, if you think about this, if I'd have said to one of those people, like, like none of them had an idea where my head was at, how bad things were, but you think like people are fucking great. If I'd have gone to one person there and said, listen, I'm, I'm kind of struggling here. Can I sit with you for five minutes? Like nobody's going to say, would you ever feck off? Like you'd have gotten all the help you'd have needed there and then. And I'm not saying that that was the answer that, that, that would be quite hard for people. I understand that. And, but I'm just saying if that's the, the road you go down, just an absolute guarantee you'll get help from somebody. Um, and I remember just kind of sitting there going back, you're going back over everything in your head and kind of thinking, I'm just coming to this realisation, like, and it wasn't a big light bulb moment, like, it's not the moment that fucking changes your life or any, but I remember just sort of quite casually sort of thinking, like, like I have spent the best part of seven or eight years, like, just tearing myself to shreds. It's like, it's no fucking wonder I'm here. Like, where else was I possibly going to end up with the way I was treating myself and talking to myself and the actions I was taking? Um, and I'm just sort of saying, if I can... Now, again, I'm giving you a really brief sort of, <clears throat> you know, surmising this a bit, like, but I remember sort of thinking, if I can flip this and even get halfway back, you know, work on myself, you know, even to the extent half of what I was doing to fucking destroy myself, it's like, I'm going to be in a better place. It's like, right, I mightn't take over the world, but like, I'm going to be, I'm not going to be here. You know, I'm not going to be back here. Yeah. And I remember just saying like, right, I'm go- I, I need to talk to someone. I'm going to talk to somebody I trust. And there's a friend of mine, wonderful friend of mine, Dave Curran is his name. He was my tutor in college. Um, someone I just really admired, really looked up to. Really cool guy. Always oh, into great books, films, everything. He's amazing. And, one of my best friends still today, but I remember saying, right, I'm going to ring him. I'm going to talk to him. And what's funny, this, this is the funny, this is a light moment, Shane, right? In the middle of the woods, in Glendalock, I said, I'm going to talk to somebody. This is the moment. <laughs> Took out my phone. There's no fucking coverage in the middle of Glendalock. Right? So, <laughs> you know, it was like, right, there you go. Here's a laugh. Like, right, that's progress. So, look, I went home. Um, now, look, I was still quite heavy-hearted and still, you know, quite confused and all, but I gave him a ring and he said to me, come up tomorrow night and we'll have a chat. So I knocked up to him that night or the next night and we just walked, walked around, lives up in Fingus, we walked the streets of Fingus and it was the first time in my life I offloaded everything and, you know, he had no answers from me, but just to get that off your chest after so long without judgment and he told me some of his stories and 
you know, his whole attitude was, look, and, and I've heard this in many different ways since. It's like, I don't have answers, but I'm just going to sit here with you. I was like, that's enough. That's all I needed. I just after all these years, I just needed somebody to just sit here and listen. Yeah. And, you know, that was eight years ago. <clears throat> it, it's been a rocky road since. But um, that was, I don't want to say the big change, but it, it, was, it sort of, it altered the direction. You know, it changed the turning point. Of, yeah, turning so point is such. if you're looking at yourself now and you're looking at yourself then, like what are the things you do today that stop you from going back in that direction? Like what are the daily things or maybe, you know, the small affirmations you might have with yourself that keep you accountable to, I suppose, moving in a positive direction, even if it's not a happy day every day? Yeah, I, I'm definitely more, um, nor, excuse me, I'm definitely more honest with myself and I'm definitely more self-aware. I think a lot of the time back then when I was down, I couldn't pinpoint it. I didn't know what to ask myself. I maybe pinned it on one thing from 15 years before or whatever. Whereas I know now what questions to ask myself as to like, why are you feeling like this? What may happen? What had, what happened? What did you do? You know, and just sort of exploring it a bit more. I think uh, CBT helps massively. Um, when yeah. you have a bit of time to kind of sit down and and sort of go through different situations maybe that are either gone by uh, or are coming up. Um, so those two things. Um, and I definitely am. I'm very open and honest with myself, first and foremost. I won't bullshit myself when I know I've done something wrong or my ego's out of check or I'm not feeling great. I won't try and park that, you know, and or, or I face it straight on. I'm not saying that's it. Oh yeah, grand, I'm sorted. I may have to face you four or five really shitty days that I don't want to face the world, but I'm honest with it. Um, look, other than that, um, I'm in a job that, whilst isn't a career, you know, I, I wanted to do, like I, I work in sales and merchandise and I've had, a, I sell cleaning products. So I'm basically making Mrs. Hinch a millionaire this year. Um, you know, look, it, it's a job. And if you ask me, do I love it? I'd say, no, I said, it's grand, you know, and there's days I hate it, there's days I love it. But as I decided, there's things about it that I love. I, I love being out on the road in my van. Um, you know, there's people I work with that are great friends. And, the, the what's key to it is compared to back then was the, the people I work for. Um, they're people. They're people. Um, how do you say that? I'm a people person. Like they're people orientated. You know, they're um, yeah. they're quite compassionate and um, uh, empathetic, quite understanding and very encouraging um, of a work life. You know, balance. Um, like I, I've I've just come out of a really bad period. August and September. I I, I wasn't in a good place at all. Uh, I ended up off work for two months and you know there's a lot of companies that would be just I would imagine I agree just get someone in to cover him he'd look he'd let him look after himself but you know my bosses were fantastic they were on to me nearly every day they were checking in was I all right did I need counseling sessions um you know I was looked after in terms of my wages things like that like that just that make you more keen to get back it's like I want to get back and repay that loyalty so um, my work life is definitely a, a bit more pleasant um, and a bit more enjoyable. So I think that is, and that is important because you spend for you know, you spend 40 hours of your life, you, you know, um, or 40 hours of your week, apologies, um, every <laughs> week, 40 hours of your life wouldn't be an awful lot. Uh, 40 hours of your week, my um, apologies saying I'm fucking exhausted tonight, um, 40 hours of your week in, in, in 
you know, obviously doing work. So you have to make it somewhat uh, tolerable. So that that's key. Yeah. Um, look, I've amazing family and friends around me that I'm very open with as well. That's absolutely vital. Um, family are very understanding, very supportive. Um, so that's key. And look, I suppose I, I, I try to be just a bit kinder to myself. And I know that is a little bit sort of glittery, but like I say, if you're having a bad day, not to beat myself up and, you know, if I'm too tired to go for a run, that's fine. Have a rest. It's fine. So just those little practices, you know, look, I, I get outdoors as much as I can. I still do a lot of running. Um, yeah. I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of reading. All, all that good stuff. Um, but look, the counselling is massive. You know, I do that very regularly. Um I've recently then I've I've recently started new antidepressants that seem to be working well for me. I know that's a, a, quite different for different people. Um, I, I maybe have found the right one for the moment. Anyway, this period of my life that that's working, and you know, it's a lot of progression. And on on the back of that bad patch in August, um, like I, I've supposed for the. I don't know if progression is the right word, but I suppose an advancement on trying to learn a little bit more about what else goes on and that uh, I'm currently awaiting a, a psychiatric uh, assessment to find out whether or not I have bipolar. Um, <clears throat> because sort of the trend as such over the years has been, you can I kind of go from highs to lows very quickly um, mm-hmm. and they're quite condensed. So it's just on the back of that. Uh, with a yeah. discussion with my GP that we were like, well, look, we'll, we'll explore this angle. So, you know, again, I say that quite casually because it's a good thing. It's like if I go and I figure out that that's what it is, it's like, great, at 36, I, I have an idea now. I know this is what it is. I can I can learn to work with it. And if that's not it, great, we'll park it and we'll move on and we'll figure out what what else, you know, can work. So, um it, it's funny, like I, I'd sort of set out at the start of the year, like most of the people, I was like, I, this oh, my only goal, I, I'm actually, I'm not massive on goal setting, like I don't do it every day, I, I set sort of, I suppose, goals and ambitions that are a little bit further down the line, I suppose, but a big thing for me this year was like just staying on top of of the head, that was just like no matter what, and in that bad period in August, September, I was sort of like, well, fuck that. Books, like how the, the plan was this you got through lockdown you got this far and you got the august and the yards came over but ironically enough I, I think going through that bad patch has sort of strengthened my resolve a bit because it took a lot to get back from it and i do believe now heading into december i do think i'll finish now mentally in a very good place on the back of that so um you know, go goal achieved for for, and in and in this year particularly, I think that's uh that's probably something to be proud of to come out relatively unscathed. You know, so definitely, um, man. You know, yeah. it, it's been a hard time for a lot of people, and I think maybe a lot of people who had the escapism to avoid these types of issues for themselves suddenly were faced with it when they were stuck at home and they maybe didn't have the same social interaction they always would have had. So you know. For you to say you went through that hard period, but to be able to look back now, even just a few months down the line and say, look, I've progressed, I've improved and I can see myself in a much better place. You know, that's that's massive. That's not just a small thing. And, you know, it's for you, it's probably bigger than anyone would even imagine because you're you're facing into the end of this year, probably, you know, looking into, you know, whatever's going to progress next year, everything moving in the right direction. And you're conscious, you're seeking out ways to improve your life. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who wouldn't do that. There's a lot of people who would hide away from their issues 
and instead you're able to take that time and really work on yourself and I, I have massive respect for that. No, I appreciate that. But I think another thing that's massive as well is, say, years ago, you, I suppose in, in a selfish way, it's like it's only me. Whereas now as a parent, you know, there's other people involved now, you know, you're doing this for your kids as well. Um, and it's funny you talk about finish. I, 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 my son is, um, he, he, he's four. And it's the fourth year now he's very excited about Christmas. And, you know, taking the Christmas decorations down and the excitement, you know, yeah. and you're just like, this is what it's all about, you know, this is all that matters. Um, so, yeah, look, as a dad, as I said, you can't be as selfish. Um, so you're thinking of other people as well. Um, and, yeah, look, I mean, it, like I say, it, I always say it, there's no full stop. And I think my attitude with it now, I always say this, and you would have seen, I suppose, some of the posts that I've done and all, it's just day by day. Everything is just day by day. And I think, like, something I've been thinking about, like, I think especially being involved in sport is... You know, I grew up in that era of Sky Sports, you know, where obviously, so, jeez, oh they were in your face growing up as a child and you fell for everything, you know, you fell for it all. You wanted the jerseys with the names on the back and, you know, you fell for all the commentary, all everything that was said. But a big thing about that era and even now is there's so much analysis and attention to detail, GPS, everything in the game in terms of sports science and that's not necessarily a bad thing but I think for the casual observer and for someone who plays at a low level you're constantly seeing these images um, of somebody whether it's a manager or a player you know their performance is just dissected um, right down to the, the smallest of detail and in some ways I think you can kind of you can take that onto your life because you're so used to seeing people being analysed, criticised, scrutinised, that suddenly you sort of think, like, Jesus, I need to be on top of my game. You know, and you're like, you know what? You bloody don't. You don't. All I, you've got to get to a stage where, you know what, I don't even have to be better tomorrow. It's like, I just have to be me. Like, just be me. That's enough. Like, you know, you're, you're not... No one's perfect. Who wants to be perfect? You know, what, what, where would the fun in that be? And I think the most interesting people you'll meet in life are those who are, you know, who have been through some fucking mad shit. And I think a good example this week, again, to stick to the football, you see yesterday, the, the death of Maradona. Like, a flawed genius. And, like, I don't know if it's an Irish thing being the underdog, but like, but that's the way I want my heroes. I want them flawed all day long because it makes them real. Um, and that's, I don't know where that came, Shane, from, from Shane, but it was just something in my head, like, you know, we're all bloody no, flawed. Like, and I think it's maybe a, a good example to give this week. 100%. I mean, look, it, it's better to see people for what they are and, you know, be able to relate to them than just have someone up on a pedestal who does everything perfect and makes you probably feel worse about yourself, you know? I mean, it, it's those people who can kind of overcome their demons or even, I mean, they don't always, but, you know, those people you can look at their achievements but also see that they struggle just like you. It makes them a lot more human and a lot more relatable. Yeah, and I mean, like, I suppose, again, the Irish example, look at Katie Taylor. Um, yeah, well, geez, what a phenomenal athlete. But, I mean, you look at the last Olympics, like... Jesus, you were nearly climbing through the telly just to give her a hug. Um, you know, she was distraught, beaten, yeah. no medal. 
after getting a gold. And, you know, it's, it's the strength and resolve she has shown since. Like, she's probably, I, I know, I, I don't like labels like this, but like you, you look at it and say, like, she has to be one of our greatest athletes of all time, you know. She's absolutely unbelievable. Um, and it's funny, you did sort of hear like, oh, she doesn't get the credit. She, it's like, she fucking does. I says, you ask anybody who Katie Taylor is, they'll know. Um, and she is unbelievable. And like I say, she has that story where she fell down and got back up. Every athlete does. Everyone does. And, and the greats do, because the beauty in their story is when they fall down, they get back up. Has to be said, man. It's very true. Now look, I'm, I'm a bit conscious of the time. I feel like we're definitely oh. going to have to come back for a part two. I feel like the, the, we didn't even get into running there today. Yeah. So I, no, I think we're going to have to resume this in a few weeks. But look, from, from I suppose, the listener's perspective, if they want to follow along with your journey, see some of the work you're doing for the charities, see some of the ultra-endurance running you're doing, where can they find you online? Yeah, look, it, just, uh, just the Instagram account is, is what I use. It's uh, performance underscore doc, so D-O-C. Um, is where you'll find me and if anyone wants to get in touch please do I, I love chatting to people and connecting with people and um, you know we always say this people say social media is a bad place and a bad influence you always have a choice who you follow and who you connect with make it a good place and you can always do that you know um, I take me breaks from it like like you should and just to get away from the phone but uh, I try and make it a good place and the community that you know, I've sort of built around what I do has been fantastic and I've gotten a lot of support from people and, and I appreciate that because uh, a lot of the fundraising that I've done has and a lot of the donations has come from a lot of people I've never even met. Like So, yeah, look, yeah. if anyone wants to get in touch, absolutely, that that's where you'll find me. So, yeah, get in touch. That, that's where you'll get me. And guys, I, I give a guarantee right now that part two is coming for this. There's, there's so much more to discuss. But uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Please do follow along with Dave's journey and please do support. And look, thank you so much for listening. Uh